It's time for episode 79 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, March 18, 2015. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where it's all in the timing. I'm your co-host, Dan. Hi, Dan. Hi, Hi, I'm Dan Morin. And with me, as always, is Jason Snell. (laughs) (laughs) How's it going, We we clearly have a great show for you this week. Yeah, well, it's all in the timing. Uh, It's the show where we talk about four technology topics in 30 minutes with two wonderful guests. To my left, a returning Clockwise panelist, Mr. Jeff Carlson. Hi, Jeff. Hello. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, welcome back. To my left is my former co-worker at Mac User Magazine back in the day and one of the hosts of the Maccessibility podcast, which was actually on last week, which was really cool. It's Shelly Brisbane coming to us live from Austin, Texas. Hello. Hello. I'm the new fish. Treat me nice, I hope. Uh, okay, Dan, uh, you introduced the show, so why don't you give us our first topic? Well, thank you for that kind offer, Jason. Uh, I was seeing just the other day that the Wall Street Journal published a report saying that for the 11 millionth time, Apple is for sure, for real this time, working on a television service. Uh, And so the rumors include a whole bunch of different networks. It sounds very much like sort of what Sling is doing with its Sling TV service. It would be sort of over the top. Uh, You would pay, according to the journal, $30 to $40 a month, get 25 channels or so, including some of the major networks, though not NBC, who they're fighting with. Um, I want to know, A, do you think this is plausible, like this this is for real this time? And B, if such a service did exist under those terms, would it be compelling to you? Mr. Carlson. I think it's definitely possible because I think everybody is looking for a way to either break away from the sort of, uh, you know, big cable monolith or, you know, coming to the realization that there are a lot of people who just really only want limited bits. And I think that that's a lot of money being left on the table. So if they can figure out some way to do some sort of streaming, some sort of, uh, you know, subscription service, then, you know, everybody sort of wins. Um, whether or not I would go for it, I don't know. I, I, I don't watch much network TV. Um, I tend to watch, you know, like four or five things that, uh, you know, people have recommended to me, which I, I guess are, are on Netflix or uh, Netflix, huh? uh, network TV. Um, but usually it's, you know, I, I think that Having to pay, like, say, you know, $15 just to get ABC seems a little overblown to me, but I'm, I'm not a real typical TV watcher. I think this is going to really happen. It, it sounds like this is the real deal at last. Um, I I also am skeptical about what this all means because in the end, uh, these subscription services have the potential to add up to essentially what you pay for for cable. And you're still also having to pay for the internet, which mm-hmm. for most Americans is your cable TV provider. So in the end, you may become a cord cutter of a sort. And what you'll end up doing is instead of paying your cable company a certain amount of money for TV, you will just pay them probably a little bit more for internet and then pay for all of these services. I'm not, I I feel like the money is not going to come out of the equation. If people, I I think this is exciting in the sense that it may provide different pathways for TV content, that Apple will try to do some things that are innovative, that it'll be different from what we think of as TV today. That all said, they will find ways to extract money out of most people for the stuff that they really want to watch. And anybody who thinks that this is a scenario where everybody saves money 
by canceling things, I think they're going to be sorely mistaken. I think that I think that's a fantasy. But that said, I mean, it puts having it all be internet based makes a lot of sense. It's a little bit like getting our uh, all of our uh, phone stuff off of the old phone networks and just using data instead, getting text messages through the internet, all of that stuff. So I'm I'm I think it's going to happen, but I don't think uh, I don't think we're going to be saving a lot of money and everybody's going to want their their cut. I feel like the HBO Now announcement has to be a harbinger uh, that this is coming in some form or fashion. And I would think that the value Apple could add would be making it easier for cord cutters to get everything they want in one place. Saving money is not going to be it because people are continuing to buy a la carte services, and by which I mean not a la carte in the cable sense, but a la carte in the sense that they're buying Netflix and they're buying HBO and they're buying all these pieces, and they're going to find that they will continue to add up to something approximating or higher than their current cable bill. And if Apple can put it all in one place and make it an interface that is easy for people to browse, because that seems to be what's missing from a lot of pick-your-own TV, is just the ability to, to browse around and find something interesting. And so Apple may be able to make that more available to people who are not um, sophisticated cord cutters. Uh, and having said all that, I am not much of a television watcher either, and the things that I want to watch are very rarely available in an internet-based format. So I am stuck either uh, with cable or not having cable and buying DVDs so I can watch the old creaky movies that I tend to prefer. So uh, I probably won't buy one, uh, buy, buy the service, but I think a lot of other people probably will. Well, I watch a lot of television. <laughs> um, I think the thing, you know, you guys are all right completely that the uh, the cost is not going to save much here. I mean, if it's 30 to $40 a month and if it's not including HBO Now, which I don't think it will, which will be a separate $15, you uh, right now I've only got cable so I I don't have or uh, cable internet I don't have cable TV I pay like 65 bucks a month for that so if you lump another 45 to 55 bucks on that I'm paying over a hundred dollars a month at which point it might actually be cheaper for me to get a bundle through my cable provider but that said what I'm looking for is both what Shelly was talking about a better experience which I think is the one place Apple should be looking really hard because the Apple TV experience is not quite it um, but also dealing with a company that is not Comcast, which has its advantages. So I'm not sure that this will totally, you know, as you guys are saying, I don't think this will totally cut the costs um, because the networks want to get paid. Uh, and hell, this service may still have ads on it because you pay for your cable every month and that's got ads too. So don't expect it to be a utopian solution. But I think it could improve the experience of both dealing with the company and browsing through the content. So I'm interested to see what they come up with. Thank you all for your thoughts on that topic. Mr. Carlson, do you have a topic for us today? I do. So um, I noticed that uh, Apple's now offering a public beta of iOS, um, not just a public beta of OS X Yosemite. So I'm wondering, could this be a sign that Apple's software releases might be more generally stable due to the large larger pool of testers than, than just registered developers? Um, or maybe Apple has another reason for opening up the OS to non-developers? Or is this just asking for, quote-unquote, regular people to screw up their devices? Well, it's a small group, uh, all told, and it's going to be people who I think are much more technically savvy. I think on one level, this is Apple's way of, uh, I, I like that it's a change. It's letting people who are really dedicated have the opportunity to give this feedback. Some of these people may be the kind of people who might pay unscrupulous organizations money to be added to their developer accounts in exchange so that they can download betas from the developer 
um, system. I, I, I think uh, I think it's a good thing. I think it is going to improve the stability of releases. I find the idea of updating to a beta of iOS, if you're a regular a member of the public, a lot scarier than the Mac because a lot of times you can't go back to the previous version and it's like your phone is running beta software now. I've done that. I don't think I recommend it to most people. It's kind of scary. So maybe they'll qualify these releases and they'll be the, you know, they'll be ones that they've already released to developers that seems to be what they're doing with OS 10 so that they know there's nothing catastrophic in them. They're sort of staggered a little bit from the developer releases. Um I but I I think the fact is uh they they've got a feedback uh, assistant app. Um people are going to find bugs and report them and the engineers at Apple seem to really love bug reports and uh, and maybe even address them. And I think that could be good for iOS stability. But yeah, I would warn anybody, this this is not a mainstream thing, uh, but I don't think it'll be, I mean, this is a small fraction. It's a few thousand people or a thousand people who are going to be able to do this. It's not the masses, and that's good because the masses do not want iOS betas. I felt better when I went to the page and realized that you would have to register to sign up and actually go through a few hoops to get the beta. It's not as if you're just going to be downloading it from Apple and randomly putting it on your phone. Perhaps there will be people who will do that, but they're 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 creating problems for themselves. And I agree with you. I, I don't think iOS betas, especially on your phone, perhaps on your iPad or some random device that your kids have or whatever, might be the the way to go if you're going to install beta software. Uh, it's interesting to me that they're doing this after a release that did have some issues with bugs. And so I don't. I guess it's there's two ways to take the question. Either is the large number of testers going to improve the stability of the release when it comes out for everyone, or does it indicate somehow that Apple is going to uh, release betas that are more stable to begin with? And I think it's probably the former of those two. Um, It'll be interesting to see, and I think my trepidation about installing it has to do a lot with what Jason said about the inability to go backward, and also just the fact that we're in a place right now where there is some so there are some existing stability issues, so I, I probably wouldn't do it unless somebody wanted me to write about it. <laughs> well, I mean, like like Jason and some of you, I've, I've used beta builds in the past through the developer program. Uh, and, you know, I, I agree. I think that they're trying to probably release uh, stuff to the public that is more... Uh, stable than the builds that get released in developer. That said, you know, you can't predict that kind of thing. There could be a bug in there that just only affects a very small number of people. I do think that it's a good move. On the one hand, you know, I think it's it's a sign of Apple has become much more open uh, about sharing its software. And I think it's a sign that iOS is much more mature uh, as, you know, we're, we're eight years into this platform now pretty much. And so it's old enough that you can release a public beta and they don't feel like they have to keep it locked down. Um, I don't think, you know, people will be rushing to try and and go install this because it's very, it's the kind of thing that most people aren't aware of. I do think it's good that it's appealing to uh, try and fix some of the shortcomings we've seen and that things have been very rough around the edges. I think it could potentially help to have an expanded pool of people who are dealing with the software before release. It's a mixed bag, but I think on the whole, it's a positive development. I'm thrilled that you all uh, articulated exactly what I was thinking. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's that, that makes it a lot easier for me. Um, I, I also really like the fact that, um, um, as, as you all mentioned, um, even though this is a public beta, it's still pretty limited. And so Apple is not 
trying to just sort of open the doors wide to masses, although I'm sure there would be, you know, some benefit to that. The the noise that they would get back from, um, you know, just the sheer number of bug reports might not make it uh, useful. And so I I sort of like that, that this is still beta in the traditional sense rather than, you know, your sort of Google beta, which is everybody can use it for any length of time and we don't know when it's going to become a real product. This is very much a, okay, we're going to, seed this out and see if there's any, you know, humdingers that we didn't catch in testing that we can address right away with people who are sort of outside the wall. All right, great. Those are good answers all. We'll see uh, where Apple goes with the beta program. Uh, but for now, with two topics down, it's halftime. We don't have a marching band. Instead, we have a halftime sponsor. Halftime at Clockwise, brought to you this week by lynda.com, the online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. Get a free 10-day trial, absolutely free, by visiting lynda.com slash clockwise. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash clockwise. One fee for the month gets you everything and they have thousands of video courses available they're made by top experts they are not made by some random person in their basement no offense to basement dwellers who know things but they have a state of an art state of the art studio and they have the the very best experts often from the companies that make the products that they're teaching you about and there are lots of different things it's not just about mac software there there is uh there is ios software as well and then lots of other things that you wouldn't even think of as topics that linda could teach you income tax fundamentals, growth hacking fundamentals, going paperless start to finish, typography, foundations of color, getting up and running with if this, then that. Those are all courses that you can get at lynda.com. So definitely check it out. lynda.com, unlimited access to hundreds of topics for one flat rate. Go to lynda.com slash clockwise and sign up for your free 10-day trial, lynda.com slash clockwise. Thank you so much to lynda.com for sponsoring Halftime at Clockwise and all of Relay FM. All right, halftime's over. Back to work. My topic is this desktop or laptop. The new MacBook is a statement that Apple is making about portability. It's thin, it's light, it has a single port. <laughs> Um, I'm curious, though, in general, to ask this panel, where do you do most of your work? And if you do have a laptop, where do you use it? You know, what's the reality of being a laptop user, a desktop user, and how you work day to day? Shelly? I have an iMac for my main desktop machine. That's where I do most of my work. And I think probably because it is a widescreen and it is all one piece of equipment. It just sits there on my desk and it does its job and causes me no trouble. I have a MacBook Pro that's about a year old and I am uh, one who loves to work remotely and I, I pick the laptop up and I go and I work in coffee shops or I just go wherever I feel like and write for a couple of hours and then come home. And what I really like about having both of the machines uh, in use in that way is that nowadays with cloud storage and everything, you you don't have to go through so many hoops to um, sync everything back and forth. It's just there waiting for you when you get to the coffee shop. And the uh, MacBook Pro, despite its name, is sufficiently light uh, that I I love it. It's a, it's a great little machine, but I don't work on it because I like the the big wide screen of the iMac. Yeah, I uh, I go back and forth between a laptop and a desktop. So right now I'm I'm standing at my iMac because this is where my podcast recording stuff is mainly hooked up. But I do a lot of work from out of the house, including at cafes, and that's where my MacBook Air uh, sort of is comes in most useful. As long uh, again, 
along with when I'm traveling. So uh, I think I think there are different tools for different scenarios. And I, I could be using my MacBook at home. I have a nice cinema display here that I could hook up to it. But I, the iMac is just situated better. And it has my you know microphone boom and stuff, all that attached there, which would be a pain to move around. So I think that there's there's room for both. I got by for years just using a laptop and really didn't have too much in the way of problems with it. Uh, for some things, I find the laptop to be a little bit underpowered, and for screen state, screen real estate especially, I think you know can be a problem if you're doing something like editing a podcast with a bunch of tracks, which I do occasionally. Uh, so, uh, but at the same time, you know the flexibility of being able to take my laptop over to the couch and sit down there and prop my feet up is pretty great. So I think if I had to get rid of one, I would probably toss the iMac in favor of the laptop because the laptop's just so much more versatile. But having both at my disposal means I get to use whichever one is best suited to the task at hand. I am uh, laptop only, actually. Um, although I do about 50% of my work in coffee shops and such, so I, I can take my MacBook Pro with me. Um, but then when, when I'm at home in my home office, uh, I plug it into an external display and basically use the laptop's uh, screen as a secondary display. Um, you know, it's it still works for me in terms of power. Um, I do really like the looks of, of the new MacBook, and there are definitely times uh, when you know something thinner and lighter. Uh, I'm I'm ashamed to say that I don't even have a Retina MacBook Pro yet. Um, I know, I know. I mean, neither um, do I. So, but they're brand new. They've only been out for what three years or so. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> unproven, Jeff. Unproven. They're very shiny, just so uh, you know. Oh, I, know. I mean, my <laughs> wife has one. And I, I can't look at it because then I'll be like, "Oh, it's 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 much nicer than what I have." Um, but uh, you know, for me, uh, the, the portability is is really key, and and being able to then you know connect it to, to an external display. Um, you know, I I need that 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 sort of power and that sort of flexibility. So, although the new machine is is beautiful and wonderful, and I look forward to what it brings to the future. Um, it's it's a little bit too svelte for me. Yeah, I, I hear that. I I am um, I wrote a piece on Macworld this week about uh, docking stations and things like that. And the fact is, I I used to have uh, be laptop only, and I had a MacBook Air, and I bought one of those Thunderbolt uh, docks from Belkin, and, and so all the stuff was plugged into it. All I had to do was plug a Thunderbolt cable and and the MagSafe uh, power into my MacBook Air, and suddenly I had a big display and a gigabit Ethernet and a bunch of USB ports and audio out and all of this stuff. And uh, and that was great. Now I'm living this this uh, two-computer life where I've got an iMac on my desktop and then I've got the MacBook Air for when I'm roaming around. And and that, and that works fine, too. I, I have a harder time working at places like cafes. I, you know, I can put in my headphones and work anywhere, I suppose, and be completely not paying attention to what's happening in the rest of the world. But, you know, in the end, I end up using the laptop a lot just on the couch or in bed or in the backyard on a really nice day. I love to do that. And then travel, obviously, when I'm traveling. Uh, I would pick a laptop too, Dan, because because I can't haul my iMac. Uh, you could. I've seen people plane. bring their iMacs into cafes, yeah, Jason. Those people are monsters. <laughs> Shelly, uh, we've saved you for last. You are our Austin correspondent, which means I believe you might have something about South by Southwest. Is that right? I, I just might. So you've probably heard of this little thing called South by Southwest that we do here in Austin every year. And the uh, interactive part of the conference has just ended, and now the uh, music people take over. So it's it's fun to watch the uh, different kinds of hipsters exchange places at the airport. But be that as it may, the interactive portion of South by Southwest is always referred to as a tech conference. 
But in my observation, it's very different than any other tech conference I've been to, and it seems to attract more folks who are uh, interested in marketing and who are part of maybe venture capital and who have uh, celebrity buzz surrounding them. And I'm wondering, have you ever been to South by Southwest? And whether you have or not, do you see here and read about it? Do the things that you see here and read about South by Southwest uh, compel and interest you from a technology point of view? Um, yeah, I, I definitely interested in South by Southwest. I've heard a lot about it over the years. I've never gotten to go. Uh, it seems like there are so many interesting facets, particularly I think the interactive stuff for me and the, the film stuff I always find really interesting too. Uh, and I think they're, they're doing more with television now these days as well, which is, as I mentioned earlier, I watch a lot of television. In fact, I've never even been to Austin, although I am going there for the first time in a couple of weeks for a wedding. So I'm really looking forward, but I think the whole South by Southwest thing would have, will have blown over by then. Um, the one downside I think to it and, and to a lot of these conferences that are, you know, become these sort of hip meccas, uh, is that the stuff that gets sort of once the 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 original sort of organic part of it you know sort of grows out and people realize like oh man this is the place to go let's all flood there and show off our cool new apps i think that sometimes it gets just a little bit overhyped and the stuff that we hear about there it enters this sort of reality distortion field where everybody's got a cool thing to announce but maybe some of those things are kind of vaporware or maybe they're just you know kind of ridiculous in the sense of like this year it's uber for everything right like oh my app is Uber, but for dogs driving sleds. Uh, and, you know, having that feels sometimes just a little bit over commercialized, but it, it, that's not a unique problem to South by Southwest. I think, I think it tends to happen. Comic-Con's undergone the same sort of transformation now that all the big giant studios have realized that's a great place to reach, to reach fans. And so they all become a little bit too heavy for their own weight. So I'm, I'm interested and would still like to go, but I wonder if I haven't missed the prime years of it. I would say I am interested in going. I, I've never been. Um, and I think the main reason I'm, I'd be interested in going is to sort of see what it's like in person. And by that, I mean all the, the news that comes out of it seems like it's all marketing stuff. It's all this is the app that has the most buzz and everybody's using this. And the, this is the crazy thing that, you know, company X did to show off their product. And you know, it, it just seems so marketing and 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 just scammy that it, it doesn't sound appealing at all. And I'm, I'm sure there must be some part of it that is appealing. Um, and so... I think it would be great, um, A, because I've heard such great things about Austin, just to, just to go to Austin, um, but also to you know have somebody who's done it before and can sort of uh, you know hopefully lead you around to, to stuff that's really good. Um, or you know the alternative is it really is just a, a big you know scammy marketing event, in, in which case, uh, no thanks. You need a Sherpa, Jeff. That's what you need. A South by Southwest Sherpa. So I, uh, I've never been to South by Southwest. I have been to Austin three times. Uh, the first time for a tech conference, the Web Edge conference, I believe, Shelly, uh, I believe I we, do remember we that, both yes. went to that conference back in the day. I love Austin. I think it's great. Um, I, I, the food is fantastic. The beer is fantastic. The live music is fantastic. I have no desire to go to South by Southwest, though. I really don't, because it sounds to me like it's a zoo. It is so marketing focused. Not a lot. I would hate to cover it, I feel like, because, oh, yeah. um, I mean, it, it, you know, our colleague Serenity Caldwell got to meet Stephen Moffat from Doctor Who at one of, at, at a South 
by event. And it's like, that's cool. But, you know, like Comic-Con, uh, which I have been to a few times, it, yeah, it seems like it's an it, it's a zoo, uh, a total, uh, maybe not Austin at its best because it's so packed with people. I'd rather go to Austin sometime when it's not South by Southwest so that I can actually breathe at a bar and have a, have a nice beer and have some barbecue and stuff like that. So I really like the city uh, and I have no desire to see it at its worst at South by Southwest. That's my feeling. Shelly, what, you get the last word about your town. Well, you're all welcome to come down and uh, we can do clockwise around my dining room table. Or better yet, we'll go to a, a nice pub and have some local draft beers. Um, yeah, I think it, it really has become a zoo. And it's also super cliche to talk about how corporate and how marketing focused South by Southwest is. And unfortunately, that's an inescapable conclusion because now it's a combination of Vegas and Bourbon Street to, to some extent. And it's it's just gotten enormous and unmanageable. And I do think if you get beyond just the idea of, of poo-pooing the corporate and the marketing nature of it. Covering it is a crazy enterprise because you're not really sure what to cover. You could cover it uh, from an entertainment perspective. You're right that there's a lot of uh, television stuff going on this year. There's a lot of gaming. There, it's, it's very buzzword compliant, as it always is. There are a few apps. Meerkat and Yik Yak are the things that are happening. And there are a few speakers. Walter Isaacson was here for a little bit of an Apple connection um, and a lot of other celebrities and politicians and the like, but it is incredibly unmanageable unless you go with some particular uh, thing in mind. That what South by Southwest tends, the coverage tends to leave out the fact that there actually are many, many panel discussions and they vary in quality, but over the past few years, one thing that they've done that's really nice is they've created some verticals. So if you're a journalist and you really want to spend time uh, thinking about and learning about the nature of media and how one would continue to develop uh, uh, media properties over time, you can do that. Or if you're in nonprofits, or if you're in community organizations, or if you're just a you know a heads down a VC marketing brand app buzzword, all that stuff, you can, you can do those sorts of things too. And I think the mistake people make is trying to do everything and um, looking for the, the the term is free noms because there are food trucks everywhere uh, giving out food that is sponsored by some organization or other. And if you spend your day following Twitter and trying to find the next free drink or the next free nom or the next uh, celebrity sighting, you will be very tired after, at the end of South by Southwest, but you won't actually have learned much. But if you focus on particular interests that you have or if you go to see that one panel or that one presentation that is really meaningful to your work or to your uh, life, uh, then it can be a rewarding experience. And uh, the Sherpa helps because it helps you get in and out of downtown Austin. And I, uh, I, that, that is the one advantage I feel like I always have when I go there because I know how to get in and I know how to get out. All right. That's great. Time for our bonus question before we go. Bonus question this week brought to you by the good people at Loot Crate, a monthly subscription box service for epic geek and gamer items and pop culture gear. For less than $20 a month, you get six to eight items that include licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, and unique one-of-a-kind items. You have until the 19th of any given month at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. Once the cutoff happens, it's over you'll have to sign up for the next month go to lootcrate.com slash clockwise enter code clockwise to save three dollars on any new subscription loot crate is like a friend who knows what you love and surprises you with a really cool box of neat stuff every month and i can attest to this because i get the loot crate and me uh my family my kids we all love it thank you to loot crate for sponsoring the bonus question on clockwise lootcrate.com slash clockwise dan what is the bonus question 
I'm so glad you asked, Jason. Well, I know both Jeff and I mentioned that we often tend to work out a coffee shop, so I have a hypothetical for you. You walk into a coffee shop in the morning, and it has on its counter every single pastry or treat imaginable. What do you pick? Jeff Carlson. There's a thing called a queen almond. It's a, a croissant made with salted butter. Uh, it's rolled in sugar, and then it's baked until the outside caramelizes and turns crunchy. Uh, there was a, a Swedish bakery in a town near where I grew up that oh, that had these sort of like f- uh, flat, crispy uh, pastry kind of things. They were super thin and with sugar on them, and they were crispy, and they were amazing. And uh, when I was in Stockholm, like eight years ago, I went into a bakery. They're all Swedish bakeries in, St- in Stockholm, and uh, they had it. They had the same thing, and I got one, and it w- it took took me back. So that bakery in Stortorget Square in Stockholm is the only place I've ever found them. I went back to Stockholm a couple years later and went there again to have them again. I don't even know what they're called, but that's what I would have. I absolutely love it. I believe that there is not enough cherry in pastries. And one of the, the best thing, I you just can't get in. There aren't enough good options. And uh, when uh, we were in Berlin, uh, we had something called a Kirstreusel, which is essentially cherry coffee cake. But it's way better than that because there was uh, cherry inside the coffee cake and uh, mixed in the, the streusel topping. And I've never had anything and also just really delicious. Well, I've got to add into that mix and say that my choice would be a a tried and true classic, the chocolate croissant. But I will say that, like Shelly, the best chocolate croissant I've had, perhaps heretically, was in Germany. And I'll tell you why. Because the Germans don't skimp on the chocolate. It's true. Uh, I believe it's called a chocolate croissant. Uh, and I had one in a German pastry. I don't even remember Munich, maybe. Uh, and it, I was surprised because it was like there was like almost like a bar of chocolate inside a croissant. I'm like this is how you do a <laughs> That's chocolate the way croissant. To do it. And I think that wraps up our bonus round. So it is left only for us to thank our wonderful guest this week, Mr. Jeff Carlson. Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you so much. And now, of course, it's lunchtime. And <laughs> <laughs> and Shelley Brisbane, it's been a pleasure. I hope you come back again sometime. I, I would love to come back, Dan. It's been a pleasure as always. Uh, has it changed? It has. It has. <laughs> oh, well, that's it's good. Not, okay, it's not that. always a pleasure, but it was this time. Oh, and good. to Thank everybody you. out there, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Ciao. Ciao.